0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer powered, listener supported.
1: Community Radio from South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. You're listening to the WFHB local news for Tuesday. June 21st, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Onyi Afuako speaks with Director of Development for the IU Women's Excellence Initiative, Anne Crawford, in part two of a two-part series. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Indiana Environmental Resilience Institute says that over the next 30 years, Average temperatures in Indiana are projected to rise about 5 to 6 degrees Fahrenheit due to climate change. That's coming up next in your local news briefing. This is the WFHB local news brief for Tuesday, June 21st, 2022. As temperatures climb to 90 degrees and higher this week, Indiana University's Environmental Resilience Institute reports that extreme heat is the deadliest weather hazard in the U.S. The ERI says that over the next 30 years, average temperatures in Indiana are projected to rise about 5 to 6 degrees Fahrenheit due to climate change. According to the ERI, that means, quote, the frequency, duration, and intensity of heat waves are expected to increase across the Midwest, end quote. Some groups are more vulnerable to the effects of extreme heat, including people experiencing homelessness, low-income communities, communities of color, and people who suffer from health conditions, such as heart disease or even mental illness. For more information on how communities can prepare for extreme heat, you can visit eri.iu.edu. The Indiana State Department of Health has identified the first probable case of monkeypox in Indiana on Saturday. According to ISDH, the patient remains isolated and health officials are working to identify anyone the patient may have had close contact with while infectious. State Health Commissioner Dr. Christina Bach says, quote, the risk of monkeypox among the general public continues to be extremely low. Monkeypox is rare and does not easily spread through brief, casual contact. Please continue to take the same steps you do to protect against any infection, including washing your hands frequently and thoroughly, and check with a healthcare provider if you have any new signs or symptoms." End quote. According to data from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 113 monkeypox cases have been identified in the u.s visit cdc.gov to learn more about the monkeypox outbreak and that's all for your local news briefing now on to your local headlines On June 13th at the Ellettsville Town Council meeting, Town Manager Mike Farmer asked the council to approve new water emergency contingency plans.
1: Sometimes when uh, there's problems with the utilities, uh, specifically the water utility, um, IDAM has always not recommended, they ask us to put together a contingency plan um, for if there's a problem, a tornado, earthquakes, floods, you name it, you know, they want you to be ready for it. So um, <clears throat> it should be comforting to know we actually do have a plan and know exactly what we're supposed to do. This is lays it out in case um, the person that thinks he knows everything isn't here. And so this gives you a roadmap again to, uh, tell what you should do, who you should contact, uh, chains of command, um, uh, assume, I mean they go through, assumed disasters and then what you do about it and has everybody's phone number and spills and all kinds of things. So IDEM's um, contingency plan was pretty thorough but the EPA decided we should have two emergency plans almost exactly alike. So this one is an EPA emergency contingency plan, and it needs to be signed by the board president. So uh, I think, do you have the copy, Denise? Okay, so at some point it needs to be signed, and then we keep it um, at, in the utility office where everybody knows they can get to it. It's not a bad idea, it's just they made made us do it twice.
2: Okay the board approved the contingency plan unanimously.
1: The fire department
2: requested approval for three new vehicles. Fire chief, Kevin Patton, explained that they originally intended on purchasing new vehicles three years ago, but due to demand, they were unable to.
3: Like I said earlier, we were trying to get three vehicles uh, going on three years now with COVID and the supply chain that's been rather challenging. So, we did cancel that order because they were telling us it probably would be sometime late next year before we were able to get those three so we did locate uh, three different vehicles that will still serve the same purpose they are state qpa pricing the originals were going to be through a lease purchase so it was going to be a little longer plan this uh, i don't have the funds to pay for all three of them right out front without completely depleting our emergency reserves. So I, I really don't want to do that. So what I'm hoping to do is uh, get these three and spread it out over a three-year loan. And if I don't have any big issues by the end of the year, I'll be able to pay for one of them completely this year. So I'm looking at purchasing the three over a three-year period if possible.
2: Board member Scott Oldham suggested using leftover funds from the fire department's budget last year. Mike, do you know how much the fire department turned back
3: last year at the end of the year? Roundabout. Not exactly. No. Do you know? I think 150. Yeah. So I, I can think from just some discussion up here, Mr. Farmer, if you don't mind, when the fire department ceases operations into the year. We'd like to probably approach this again to reappropriate that money back to pay for these vehicles so we're done. Does that work for you? That works great for me. So Mm -hmm. with whatever their turn back is, Mm -hmm. we'd like to see something probably at the end of the year or the first of next year to immediately reinvest that money back into these vehicles so we're not having the loan out there for more than six, eight months at most.
2: Council member William Ellis said that he originally thought that they could use funds from the Rainy Day Fund but realized it might be better to hold off spending the funds because of rising gas prices.
1: And just for clarity, you know, uh, it was, I had brought up about pulling from either Rainy Day Fund or General Fund or something, but then it was brought up to me by Scott and others. Good point that, uh, you know, when we made these funds and these budgets, gas was 220 something a gallon. And chances are by the end of this year, I would not be shocked if it's six fifty-seven dollars a gallon, so that's why we have a rainy day emergency fund. <laughs> and slight
2: drizzle right now, looks like it's going to start pouring soon. The council approved the fire department's request to purchase three vehicles. Oldham started a discussion about having their own fueling stations for the town to save money by buying in bulk. He also said it would be nice to have the peace of mind that there will be gas if there are ever shortages at consumer gas stations. Mike Farmer said that the project would not likely save the town much money, but that having gas reserved would be worth it and that they could look into it. The next council meeting will be held on June 27th. On June 16th at the Monroe County Solid Waste Management District Citizens Advisory Committee meeting. Executive Director Tom McGlasson informed the committee that the South Walnut facility will start accepting waste tires and will be able to accept credit or debit cards for payment moving forward. So, uh, beginning July 1st,
0: uh, we will be able to accept waste tires uh, from residential sources uh, at our South Walnut facility and the Household Hazardous Waste Department. Um, at, at this time, until we figure out how things go, we are uh, limiting uh, customers to five tires per visit. Uh, we don't want we don't want to overwhelm the staff while they're they're fine you know fine tuning the process of how we're going to make this work. Uh, and also, uh, as of today, uh, we can take debit and credit cards for payment uh, at the Household Hazardous Waste Department.
2: McGlasson said that the fees for tire disposal will be posted on their website on July 1st. Committee member Lily Kleinlin gave an update on the rebranding subcommittee's progress.
4: We mostly formulated um, some some themes to uh, design slogans around primarily uh, our world, our responsibility. Um, Your actions, comma, world and global impacts of connecting, um, trying to connect individuals to overall um, responsibility and impact. Uh, And it seems to be really an ongoing kind of brainstorming um, document until our next meeting.
2: Chairperson Joseph Winia said that any slogan ideas members have will be relayed to a media consultant.
1: If anybody has any thoughts they want to contribute, there are spaces within it. So if you have any thoughts on slogans or anything, you're welcome to add those at any time. And those will be relayed to um, a a media consultant who will be managing the rebranding process once they have been
2: selected. The next committee meeting will be held on July 21st. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Onyi Afuako speaks with Ann Crawford, Development Director for the IU Women's Excellence Initiative. This is part two of a two-part series on the WFHB local news. We turn now to that report.
0: Although there has historically been a difference in how women's athletics are supported compared to men's across the nation, Indiana University Athletics has been doing what it can to elevate women's athletics. What's more is that the department has been doing it during a $25 million deficit from the fiscal year 2021 that resulted from the COVID-19 pandemic. Director of Development for IU Athletics Ann Crawford outlined the Athletics Department's plan of action.
4: Well, I think it's important to understand that we at IU consider our athletic department 24 sports, one team. And through the $25 million deficit, we have done everything we can to make sure the student athletes, male or female, do not feel the effect of that deficit. And so what I mean by that is our athletic director and his senior staff and the team around him, including our varsity club fundraising arm for IU Athletics, has made significant cuts in a lot of areas in athletics, but many of which do not directly impact the student athlete. So when we looked at the deficit, there, of course, were staff decreases. We eliminated positions. We have not backfilled positions if people left on their own accord. Some of our top administrators and head coaches took ten percent pay reductions. Our staff was asked to consider and the majority of people did take two week furloughs. We have examined and re examined the operating budget to be as lean as possible without directly impacting our student athletes and making sure their experience at IU is what we have highlighted as the Indiana standard, which is what they were experiencing before our deficit in part due to the ripple effect of COVID. And that includes men and women. All of our sports teams fall within that category.
0: Aside from all those crisis measures, the main way IU supports its varsity women's sports outside of its budget is through the Women's Excellence Initiative, a fundraising initiative launched in August of 2021 to elevate women's sports at IU. According to Crawford, the initiative was designed as a fundraising vehicle and human resources campaign for the purpose of elevating IU's 13 varsity women's sports. Although the timing would suggest the initiative was in response to the pandemic, it has been in the works since 2019. It was a part of athletic director Scott Dolson's platform when he interviewed for the position in February of that year. The objective of the initiative is to raise funds for anything outside of the normal operating budget which is built through ticket revenue, third-party contracts, television revenue, and other sources. Those items might help with recruiting, providing competitive advantage on the field, or enhance the student-athlete experience. Crawford says those items outside the budget, as well as helping with engagement, are where the initiative really shines.
4: You know, if a piece of equipment needs to be replaced during the season, perhaps that wasn't in the operating budget. We'd love to be able to help do that through Women's Excellence if there's, you know, a student-athlete experience or a team experience that a coach would love to put together, whether that's, you know, a weekend retreat or a foreign trip, which can be very common in a lot of our teams, men and women, women's excellence might be able to help fund that opportunity, which right now is not a line item in the normal operating budget. And so as we look at the deficit in part thanks to COVID-19, women's excellence is absolutely an initiative that we hope to create opportunities for our women's programs specifically. And it was set up that way to help us target an audience and engage intentionally with a group of people we maybe haven't been able to engage in the past so with women's excellence I mentioned the fundraising piece but there's also this human engagement piece so we want to be spending time with our of course season ticket holders to our women's sports um, and get to know those season ticket holders and those fans and those donors we also want to get to know our former letter winners. those are you know individuals who played women's athletics at IU in the past, we want to get to know parents, we want to get to know current season ticket holders to our other revenue generating sports that might have a dual interest in women's college athletics and in the power of sport and how that can create leaders that go out and do great things in their community.
0: The initiative has been up and running for almost a year at this point. According to Crawford, there have been significant developments in fundraising and providing opportunities in that amount of time. To date, it has raised $1.45 million in outright gifts. This means the athletics department has a total of $1.45 million that people have pledged to give to it. It is not the same as cash in hand. In fundraising, people may support a cause over the course of several years. With that outright cash that the athletic department expects to see over the next few years, they also raise $1.2 million in planned gifts. Planned gifts are when people plan out their estates and philanthropic legacy and include the Women's Excellence Initiative in those plans. The culmination of those funds enable the athletic department to project the money coming in. This helps them know what projects they can impact. It also enables the head coaches, Athletic Director Scott Dolson, and Senior Women's Administrator Maddie White to brainstorm on a plan of action involving the funds. Together, they decide which facilities, teams, coaches' priorities, and aspects of the student-athlete experience they can improve. Crawford says that while they cannot take care of everything, they can take action to impact their varsity teams in a major way without the initiative even being around for a full year. So
4: we have been able to fund a foreign trip for volleyball. They are actually over in Europe as we speak. And in volleyball, that is a really big recruiting tool. It's, at IU, it's also a really important student-athlete experience, exposing our athletes to other cultures, And to travel. Some of our student athletes, because of their schedules, might not ever be able to study abroad or have that opportunity. So, the foreign trip is something um, that we were really excited to provide and help fund. And from a recruiting standpoint, our coaches are really excited because our Big Ten and NCAA counterparts in volleyball, the majority of those top programs will host a foreign trip every four years, so each student-athlete has that experience. We were also able to put new rowing docks in out at Lake Lemon for our women's rowing team. And again, with our current climate and the ripple effect of COVID-19, we're having to really examine what facilities we can enhance and elevate, and we are excited that, you know, we could impact rowing and a need that they had. Um, The IU softball team um, had some facility upgrades that they are hoping to make as well, and Women's Excellence will fund those. And then Field Hockey also has some facility upgrades that they were looking to enhance, and we are able to help out with those through this funding. So all of that to say that between you know facilities and the student athlete experience of a foreign trip, women's excellence has directly impacted the department already without even being around for a full year.
0: One of the biggest aspects of the initiative is engagement with new parts of the IU fan base. Over the course of its tenure, IU athletic director Scott Dolson has identified audiences that were not intentionally cultivated to support athletics in general, let alone women's athletics. Historically, there has been much leverage placed on football and men's basketball season tickets to encourage people to support IU's athletics program. Those revenue-generating sports, along with television contracts, have created IU's operating budget. Because of that, athletics officials have spent a lot of time with football and basketball season ticket holders, while non-revenue sports season ticket holders were not engaged with on that level. The initiative makes sure there are people from the department spending time with season ticket holders for women's sports teams like volleyball and women's basketball. Crawford believes that the initiative will do great things for the student-athlete on and off the field. She says making sure women's athletics needs are always met is a top priority.
4: IU considers, we consider ourselves a pioneer in, you know, academic opportunities for women as well as athletic. And by making women's excellence a priority, I hope that it is a visible sign to our women's team and our current student athletes and our coaches and our IU athletics community that our programs are important and elevating them and helping them be successful is a priority. Again, at IU, we are very much twenty four sports one team. Making sure our women's programs and all of our athletics programs, men and women, have what they need is always a priority. Our varsity club staff is strong and we have a team that works every day to fundraise for all of our 24 teams in various climates. You know, the economy has ebbs and flows, but the student-athlete scholarship bill and the needs of our IU Athletics Department remain. And so women's excellence, while not a new train of thought, it is more visible than we have been in the past. And so for our current student-athletes, we hope, of course, every day that they feel valued and that they know there are people working in the background to help them be successful. We want that for all of our student athletes. But I think having this specific initiative and knowing what a priority it is for our athletic director, Scott Dolphin, we hope our women at IU feel supported and ultimately have the success that they want.
0: Both in the classroom and on the field. For WFHB, I'm Onyi Afuako.
2: That was WFHB correspondent Onyi Afuako, speaking with Ann Crawford, Development Director for the IU Women's Excellence Initiative. been listening to the WFHB local news. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky-Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Onyi Afuako. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. Thank you for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at wfhb.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at wfhb.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer.